It is good to be here together, isn't it? And uh, great to see more faces coming into church here and being together. You are online. Thank you for joining us. And we got a, a group in the gym. Uh, it's awesome that we've got our people coming back together again. And uh, we're trying to figure out how we're doing this as the province opens up, but continue to pray for us as a church as we gather, as we figure out what it's going to look for look like for us as we cautiously open up and make sure that we're uh, doing the right thing for everyone. And uh, so, yeah, it's good. Speaking of good, we are talking about the good life. And when you think about the good life, what are some of the images and things that come to your mind? Uh, maybe it's, uh, for me yesterday, it was uh, we have a, a pool in our backyard, a big pool, and, and I was laying in the middle of the pool. We got a little current going and s- sitting in there and enjoying the coolness of the pool in that hot day. Uh, maybe you're sitting on your deck sipping some coffee or at a coffee shop, or maybe you're around a campfire somewhere with your family. There's lots of images that come to mind of the good life. And maybe it's not such good right now and you're going through some hard things, and that's okay. This morning, we are in our second message in our three-part sermon series on Micah 6.8. And uh, the good life. This is the good life that God is calling us to. And so you tag on that extra element of what is God calling us to, and maybe it's a little different than sitting in a pool, uh, floating around trying to be cool. Um, Temperature cool, I'm already cool, right? But anyway, no. What is God calling us to, right? My wife's shaking her head there. That's, That's going off the notes, that's for sure. Well, Pastor Aaron started it off last week. And if you missed his message, I would encourage you to go online and catch it. There's the audio uh, or the full video version of it. Um, You can catch it online always, right? And I would encourage you to go back there and listen to that one because these three messages are all tied together, and it's really important to get all three of them and not just one of them. Um, That's important. So let's take your Bibles, if you have them, devices, and you can turn to Micah 6. And we're going to read uh, and look at that little passage. The same one that Pastor Aaron read last week, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it in the NLT, the New Living Translation. It's on the screen if you want to follow along up there, whichever works for you. Uh, But I'm going to read it. Micah, one of the prophets uh, in the Old Testament, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. If you crack that open after some of those prophets in there, you'll find Micah. And I'm going to start at verse 6. Same passage that Pastor Aaron read. What can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offerings should we give him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Last week, the focus was on the area of justice and living right. And when Jesus touches us, he transforms us to be able to live right. 
It's only when Jesus touches us can we even do these first two requirements. The question that Pastor Aaron asked us uh, to ask ourselves is, what is God leading you in this area of living right? Did you wrestle with that at all? Did you meditate on that? Think about that again this week, about what is it that God is asking you to do in this area? What's he bringing to mind? This morning, um, we're going to look at the second thing that God requires of us, as it's mentioned in this verse, and that is to love mercy. Next week in this series, we'll focus on the vertical requirement. Pastor Aaron talked about this last week. The, the first two requirements are um, a horizontal requirement, something that affects those around us, those in our community, those we rub shoulders with, our whatever. It's this horizontal requirement. And the third one is a, a vertical requirement, our relationship with God. And you can't miss the third one in this three-part series. You can't. And if you're away next week, then you need to catch this online because I really believe that is a key element. Well, it is the key element to both of these things, is, is you can't do loving mercy, living right, without walking humbly with our God. Okay? So there's my pitch. Pastor Aaron, you're going to have a big crowd next week. So what is mercy? That's where we're at today. Love, mercy. What is mercy? The definition is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's own power to punish or harm. So compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who really deserves something very different. It kind of sounds like God, doesn't it? Yeah. Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God is so rich... In mercy. God is rich in mercy. Our God is so rich in mercy. God made this very clear back in Exodus. And we just paused our Exodus series a couple weeks ago uh, for the summer, and we'll get back into that later. But Exodus 34, I want to read something for you. Again, just to understand how rich God is in mercy, okay? So we need to, again, imagine the Israelites... Uh, are, are gone out, and Moses has got the Ten Commandments for the second time, and the covenant is, is mentioned again, is, is talked about, is, is affirmed, given again. And then in chapter 34 of Exodus, starting at verse 5, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, and he called out his name, his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. He goes on, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. Whoa. The key point, though, is in verse 5, or 6 there, it says, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. God is the God of compassion and mercy. It is so clear all through 
the Bible that God is so rich and full of mercy. His mercy shows up in the believer's life at salvation. And then God continues to show mercy in forgiveness over and over and over again. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Grace, however, was listed as a synonym for mercy. It does sound quite a bit like grace, doesn't it? As I was reading about the difference between grace and mercy, I came across this. It says uh, in the dictionary, grace is defined as courteous goodwill, meaning it's not asked for nor deserved, but is freely given. Mercy, on the other hand, is the compassion and kindness shown to someone, like I said before, who it is in one's power to punish or harm. It is an act meant to relieve someone of suffering, to spare them, to help them, to intervene, to whatever. Spare them from their suffering. Tell you a story. Some of you know the story of John Newton um, and how he came to write the beautiful hymn the amazing, amazing grace. You may have heard me say this little story before. Uh, in fact, I even told it again this week when I was at a funeral and for a, a woman from our community. John Newton uh, lived in the late 1700s, and Newton had quite the life. He was uh, the son of a commander of a merchant ship which sailed the Mediterranean, and he made several voyages with his father, and then uh, he was pressed into service on a man of war ship. Uh, which he later deserted uh, because of the intolerable conditions. He also served on a slave ship and then landed as a servant for a slave owner in Sierra Leone. And he was later rescued and later became the captain of his own slave ship. This is John Newton. Anyway, as he was sailing his slave ship, on a homeward voyage, while he was attempting to steer the ship through a violent storm, he experienced what he was to refer to later as his great deliverance. He recorded in his journal that when all seemed lost, when all seemed lost, and he thought for sure they were going to sink, he cried out to God, Have mercy. Have mercy. Later in his cabin, he reflected on that moment that he said, and he began to believe that God had addressed him through the storm, through that crazy storm, and grace had begun to work for him and in him. This was life a life transformational moment for John Newton. This changed his life from that point on, and the song Amazing Grace was written later in life as he reflected back to that moment. You see, John Newton realized he was in need of God's mercy. Newton was, in his words, a wretch and was in need of God's kindness, compassion, and mercy. And though he realized that God did not owe him anything and God could and maybe should have let this ship go down in that storm, God didn't. God helped him navigate through that storm as he cried out for mercy to God. 
God heard him, and Newton somehow navigated out of that storm, and he gave all the credit to God, and grace began to work in him and through him. And the song, the hymn, Amazing Grace, was written at some point later in his life as he reflected back on that moment when he experienced God's mercy on that ship and received God's grace, his saving grace. So we know God is rich in mercy, and this was an example of it in John Newton's life. And I also know that many of us can share stories of God's mercy in our own lives. But this verse in Micah 6, 8 is about God requiring us to show mercy. It is requiring us to be merciful. So how does this really look for you and I? How do you extend mercy to those around you, around me? Let's talk about another story, an illustration. We all know King David in the Bible. Awesome character, one of my favorite characters. Before he became king, he served in King Saul's courts. Um, after he killed Goliath, the, the big giant, we know the story, Saul made him the commander, or a commander in his army. And David became very successful. Very successful. And Saul became very jealous. In his jealousy, Saul's jealousy, he tried to kill David several times. And so David went on the run. He went into hiding, and we pick up his story and this little story in 1 Samuel 24. So again, picture King Saul, you know, he's the king at the time, David's serving in his courts, but, and he goes out and fights, and he becomes very successful and, you know, popular, and now Saul is envious and jealous and tries to kill him, and so David's on the run with a few hundred men. So we pick this story up in 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chooses 3,000 elite troops from all Israel. He really wants to get this guy. All Israel, and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that same cave. Oh, the plot thickens. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your own, into your power, to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Oh. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and 
did not let them kill Saul. And of course, David comes out of the, uh, or Saul comes out of the, the cave, and David eventually comes out when Saul's off in the distance and says, Hey, I'm not the guy you think I am. You know, I'm, I could have killed you. Here's a little piece of your robe. And David showed mercy. Great story of someone showing mercy to someone else. David could have killed Saul right easily and right there and then, but he didn't, even though Saul deserved it. Even though it almost seemed like God was putting Saul right on a plate in front of him. Take him out, David. His men were telling him that too, right? But David knew God put something in his heart. No, this isn't right. God put Saul in place. I need to respect and honor that leadership. That's up to God to remove or do whatever. I'm going to have mercy on him. What a great story of mercy. How about another story of mercy? And this is a parable that we know well in Luke chapter 15. Um, And we're going to read a couple sections there, a little piece in there. I won't read it all, but this story is the story of the prodigal son. A father has two sons, and the one son, you know, comes to him and says, Hey, Dad, um, I know you're not dead yet, and, uh, but I want all my money that, in my inheritance. You know, I, I'm looking across the fence at what's going on in the world, and I want to go enjoy life, and I want to take my inheritance. So obviously, they probably had quite the debate. And his father finally said, Okay, I'll give you your inheritance. And so he gave the son his inheritance, And a couple days later, the son jets off to a a distant land to party it up and to have live wildly. And we pick up this little story in um, Luke 15, verse 18. It says, I will go to my father. This is after he loses everything. So he's out there living like crazy, loses all the money, ends up um, starving because he has nothing left, and he works for a pig farmer. In fact, the pigs have better food than himself, and he realizes what he's done. And so then he comes to verse 18. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Maybe I'll add mercy in there. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. And now has returned to life. He was lost. But now is found. So the party began. Party began. This is the posture of his return. He knows he's sinned. He doesn't deserve anything. The father's out there actually waiting for him to come home. Looking for him. And he accepts him back in with a party. 
such a merciful posture to the son. But the elder son is the one I also want to look at. How does he respond to his brother coming home? Quite the opposite. We pick him up, this part up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do, any, to do a single thing you... Sorry. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. The older son had no mercy or compassion for his older brother. He wanted nothing to do with him. His father begs for him to come in and join the festivities, but he would have none of that. The father was full of mercy, and the elder son had none to show. Jesus was comparing this elder son to some of the religious leaders at that day who seemed so faithful and so upright to the religious establishment at the time. And maybe this is for us today as well. Maybe we can see a reflection of ourselves in the elder brother when it comes to mercy. Having mercy on those around us. Let's pause for a moment. Let that sink in for a moment. When we talk about showing mercy to those around us, how do we do it? Are we like the father, the prodigal son, or do we lean towards the elder brother? This morning, as important as being merciful is, the word that precedes this is really important as well. And that is we are required not just be merciful, but to love Love mercy. That kind of puts that word mercy in bold letters, underlined twice. Maybe it's even in red. It's really standing out when you put that word love mercy. Love mercy. How do you love mercy? Search for opportunity to be merciful for those around us. We ooze mercy in our posture to people. Instead of quickly judging and being critical or whatever it might be that we might have in our posture, we ooze mercy. We love mercy. Passion kindness, forgiveness. Is that you? Is that you this morning? Do you love mercy? 
We may have the right to punish, harm, or get even with somebody, but instead we forgive and show compassion. This is loving mercy. No matter what the situation, God does expect us to show mercy, just as he shows mercy to you and I. All the time. All the time. There are no other conditional words in this phrase about mercy except the word love, mercy. Love, mercy. So what's coming to mind for you this morning? What's God stirring in your heart? Is there someone in your world that you need to show mercy towards? A family member, your kids, your spouse, a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend, maybe someone in our church family here. Is there someone that you rub shoulders with that you need to show mercy to? To be compassionate and kind, forgiving. And again, we can't do this without focusing on next week's message. Because this is super hard. This is not something we do on our own strength, folks. We can't just go, mm, i got to just dig it down and be more merciful. It's only when we lean into our relationship with God can this happen. And Pastor Aaron will dive into that very important requirement in this three-part message. Show us, God, who. Show us where. Show us how to love mercy with those around us. What can we bring to the Lord? What can we bring to God? Go to church every week. I read my Bible. I... I you know, I'm praying all the time. You know, I'm helping those around us. I'm, I serve in dots of places, both in the church and outside. I, I give of my offering and my tithe all the time. And the list goes on of the things we bring to God. And those aren't bad things. You know what, folks? Those are all good things. The list in Micah 6, 6, 7, those are good things. If you can do those. No. As good as those all are, the one thing that God says is he says, I require three things. To live right. To love mercy. To love mercy. And then to walk humbly with our God. And that's where we'll end next week. But this week... With God's life transformational stuff, his spirit in us, we can figure out how to love mercy. We can figure that out through his spirit in us. Then you can come. We're going to close our service. And I'm going to pray uh, regarding this for ourselves. What does it look like to love mercy? How do we figure that out, because we can't do it on our own strength, right? We can't. 
And then in closing, I also want to just say, you know what? This week we've heard again about the, the stuff that's going on and that we've heard with the residential schools. And that breaks our heart. I hope it breaks your heart. I know it breaks the heart of God. It does. And what do we do? How do we, how do we navigate this, right? And so I want to pray this morning again. I know Pastor Scott did this a couple weeks ago when we heard the, the news a few weeks ago. And so at least we want to continue to pray. Well, how, God, how do we as individuals, how do we as a church respond and love our indigenous community around us? And the sad news of what gone on in years past, but we're all a part of it. This is our country. And so I'm going to close in prayer off this message and then to pause and pray regarding this situation as well that's around us. Let's close in prayer. So Father, we are grateful that we can gather this morning like this. Great to see folks here today in person, those in the gym and those online. God, thank you for all of us as we've gathered. And Father, as we address this issue of, uh, of how to love mercy around us, God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, show us how, who, where, we can love mercy with those that we rub shoulders with, God. We can't do this on our own, and I know that you filled us with your spirit. As followers of Jesus, we know that your spirit fills us. And so God, lead us, guide us, show us how to love mercy. Be really specific, God. Be really specific in our lives today that you would help us to ooze and have a posture of mercy as we move forward. And God, when we hear the news of these, you know, the, the horrible things that have happened, and we don't even know what happened, but we, we, we know the, the things that is coming to news in these residential schools, God, I know that breaks your heart. And what breaks your heart, God, may it break our hearts too. It's hard to know how to say sorry uh, as a church, as people, as individuals, as a community. But God, we pray that you are the God of all comfort would come and bring comfort and peace, reconciliation and hope. Because at the end of the day, God, we know the only hope for this world is you, Jesus. And so we lay this at your feet. We lay this at the foot of the cross and we pray that you would help us as individuals and as a church to know how to navigate this. How to say sorry, how to be comfort and, and peace to those around us that were affected, that are affected. God, we give you this and we ask again for your comfort, for your peace and for us to know how to navigate this and to figure out our part in this. We commit that to you. We commit all these things.
in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together, and we'll uh, have some announcements at the end as we close our service.